This podcast is made on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Yeah, with the chops, with the chops, with the chops, chop it! Yeah, chop it out! You're listening to Shifting Subjects, stories from Asian Australian life. Oh, fuck! I'm Lisa Divisi. I can't make up my mind about football. I get whiplash from trying. I'm talking specifically here about Australian rules football. You know, Aussie rules, AFL, footy. I like the idea of it. It seems appealing to me because I'm naturally what you'd call a joiner. I'm a complete sucker for a big collective moment. And that makes it really hard not to be swept up in the excitement leading up to something like a grand final. When the AFL began its national women's competition, I thought, yes, here's my chance to get into footy. I even did a bit of reporting on it as a student journalist. But just when I think I'm all in, something happens in the world of AFL to put me off or shut me out. Usually it's something racist or sexist or homophobic coming from high up in the institution or from people with senior standing in the sport. And those remarks in turn might embolden fans and shitstirrers alike. And then I'll feel like a loser for being drawn into it in the first place. Like, why did I think there was a place for me here? But then I think about how much I love eating chips at Witten Oval while the sun goes down and two teams go head to head. I'll think about the glorious collection of sleeve tats the AFL seems to have amassed. Arms and legs, all genders. The contagious joy of my friends when their teams win. And how, before I know it, I'm worried we're going to lose because it's a tight game. It's got me interested in other Asian Australians' relationships to footy and the cultures surrounding it. So I spoke to three of them in the hopes that it might help me make up my own mind. This is my friend Shamsia Hussainpour. She was nice enough to agree to an interview in the park, but mean enough to plague me with an earworm. And now you, listener, have to suffer with me. Okay. <laughs> Instead of one, two, three, I think we should start with I think the we baby shark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just to ensure that every time someone opens the file, <laughs> they wouldn't know where, to, where it is. You know? yeah, exactly. It's a very unique way to start. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Shamsi's yeah. love of footy began when she was nine years old. The first ever game of AFL that I watched was the 2007 AFL like, Grand Final, Geelong vs. Port Adelaide. I, I was never a big fan of sports in general. But, you know, when I sat down on the couch, this was the very beginning. That Saturday, her extended family came round. While Shamsia's siblings and cousins ran wild through the backyard and in the house, the adults gathered in the lounge room where the TV was on. And that's when the parade and the pre-game festivities caught her eye. I sat down. It looked interesting to me, you know, how everyone dressed up in their own merchandise and team colours. As the cameras panned across the crowd... Shamsia saw hundreds of kids her age in beanies and scarves squished together at the edge of Swanston Street, screaming their heads off. Eight months earlier, Shamsia and her family sought refuge in Australia from Afghanistan. There was so much that was new to her about Australian culture. And as the game started, I became even more intrigued about, you know, what this game is about or what this show is about. To be a part of footy, you need to buy in. To buy in, you need to pick a team. When the game started, I asked my cousin, I said, 
Um, oh, which team is from where we are? I didn't even know where we were. So I just said the place that we're in. And she said the navy blue and white, they are a Victorian team. A newly minted Cats supporter, she now had a stake in the game. Her cousins called to her to come play outside, but Champsia was like, no, this is more important. Every near miss, every mark, every tackle, every point scored and every goal brought about a thrill. And it was echoed by the roar of the crowd. For someone still getting a grasp on the English language, the reaction of the fans was instructive and made it easy to join in. Plus, her newly adopted team was winning, and it was intoxicating. I was going for them from the very beginning. It wasn't because I chose that team because they won. The adrenaline kicked in. I was like, yes, you know, this is it. My team won. We won. I, immediately, there was the inclusive language as well. It's right. like, we won, you know. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is our team and, you know, us. This was the first time where I sort of, I, subconsciously I felt like I connected with the rest of the Australian community because I had the same joy as people in at the MCG had. I don't know, deep down I felt like I belonged because I'm one of them. Even though I didn't know people, even though, you know, I guess the, the physical part of my world didn't really change... But deep down on the inside, um, I had friends. Anyone that wore Geelong merchandise, I was friends with them, that I connected with them, even though I didn't even, we didn't even interact. But there was that connection that we go for the same team. You know, we chant for the same team. Winning felt good, but that sense of belonging was something else altogether. And it kept her going back for more. I, I knew every player's name. I knew every player's number. And I knew the game like as if I watched this my whole life. Wow. Where were you getting the information from? Just TV. Uh, the way I picked up the rules, the way I picked up people's name and what position they played. And you learned the yeah. positions just yeah. by watching. Exactly. Every time they came up on yeah. screen and it identified them, you just like filed that away. 100%. People don't talk enough about what it takes to be a fan. Learning names, numbers, positions, rules, only from watching TV? That's intensive study. That's deep, emotional and intellectual investment, especially for someone new to the sport and to Australian cultures. Some people grow up with footy-watching families. They might even inherit a team and have a parent or older sibling who will indoctrinate them in the ways. You know, like, it's a weeknight, it's after dinner. Hey, come sit with me, see that guy over there? He's a ruckman, that kind of thing. You can soak up the knowledge without even really trying. But AFL is a sport with its own history, lexicon, subcultures and whatnot. And if you're starting from scratch by yourself, you really have your work cut out for you. Hearing Shamsia's story, some might say that she was obsessed. I'd add that, crucially, she was committed. So whenever Geelong was playing, the only time that I was, you know, going away or getting a snack or something was when there was a commercial break. I remember once my mum asked me to go and pray, to do the um, evening praying, and it takes, normally it takes 15 minutes to complete the whole praying. <laughs> I remember I, I finished the whole pray just within one commercial break. 
and I came and I sat down. And I'm just looking at me saying, did you play? I swear I did. Did you go ask? You know, I said to one of my sisters, I'm like, go ask her. You know, I, she saw me praying. But it was one of the most quickest. I think I didn't even, my head didn't even touch the floor. <laughs> so it just goes to show. <laughs> Soon enough, she was winning footy tipping competitions at school. And I could even tell, uh, based on the weather, how we're going to play. Can, that's in, You're not going to believe it, but that's insane. Whenever it was wet, we always played really good game. And she was beginning to get a reputation. Anything that I sort of talked about with my friends or classmates or teacher, it was just footy related. And I felt like that's when I started seeing it physically that, oh, the only way that I'm sort of connect with people right now is through footy. And I don't know, it was funny because every time I I would sit in a public space, whether that was bus stop, train station, if I'm sitting next to someone, I would just... You know, it would, it would start with a smile, so I would smile at them, and then if I see them wearing a footy merchandise, then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I go for this team. And that's how the conversation started. Shabtia had achieved something that I've always wished I could do, talk footy. Because if you can do that, chances are you'll be able to strike up a conversation with just about anyone, at least in Melbourne anyway. If you board a train after a game is finished, you'll see people shuffling on wearing their team colours. And then some time will pass and you'll go, hang on, something's different. The rich people are talking to the poor people. The goths are talking to the grandmas. Sometimes they'll all burst out into song and the club anthem will fill the carriage and you'll be like, come on guys, it's been a long day. I just want to listen to my podcast. In other words, being able to connect over footy can so quickly transport you to the world of an in-crowd. And having done the work, Shamsia was in. I'm at a Collingwood football club AFLW training session on a Wednesday evening. It's on a field at the edge of the city with a highway wrapped around it. In the distance, I can see the steady shuffle of commuter traffic making its way out. I'm here to talk to Joanna Lin, who plays through the midfield. She's Taiwanese-Australian. Earlier that day, we did a sit-down interview, and now we're back in the fading daylight to record her in action. Well, quit this. This is going to look even worse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My colleague John has brought these wireless mics that Joe can wear while she trains. We've clipped one of them to a bright red headband. And to make it windproof, the mic is covered in a fluffy material. It sticks out and it looks silly, but she's going with it. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> I think you have something growing out of your ear. I think so. I'm sorry. What is that? I don't know what you're talking about. Uncomfortable anytime. No, I just have to cop the little smack first. When I cop all the smack, tell me. What's going on? They picked you. I can't believe they picked you. What are you doing? I don't know. John and I watch as they run onto the field. I want to run out with them, but I'm a professional, so I remain on the periphery. The sound is being transmitted wirelessly back to John's recording kit. He lifts one headphone off and says a little guiltily, I can hear everything. 
No, I, I didn't do a podcast for a, a magazine. And they, they want to mic me up for Oh, that's shit. Do you get paid? Um, Are they listening? Yes. <laughs> Stop. Um, uh, tennis pro. <laughs> I love my friends here. What I love about football is just the camaraderie. Like, everyone is, like, you're basically sisters. Like, you, we're together every second day. Like, it's, you turn into a big family and, like, no matter what, I feel like I could go to anyone in the club um, for anything if I ever needed help or just chat. It's, it's a feeling that's hard to explain because it's just, like, you're out there with, like, 20-year-old, your other, like your good mates, and you're just having fun, laughing, picking each other up. Like, it's, yeah, so whenever I play my best footy, I feel like I'm always connected with every single one that's on the field, um, and they're having a good time, really. Yeah. Get going, Saif! Fuck it. Keep going, Saif, keep going, you're good, you're good! Keep going! In our squad, we have 32 girls, so you kind of have to go out of your shell. Like, I'm a very introverted person, but when I'm at the club, I turn into the most extroverted person because everyone's from different backgrounds. Everyone's gone through a different, you know... Or everyone's in different phases of their life. Like, the more you talk to them, like, you find out more things, and I think that makes you grow as a person yourself. Drive, drive, drive! With it, boy, with it, Chew! With it, Avo! Remember, we're only going about 80... Get our skills 100%. With us, with us, with us! Oh, get that home! Oh! That's how you Boy's got it, it's fine. Oh, shit! I'd say that, like, at home, it was very, you know, like, like Asian culture, you, you know, and all that stuff, and then when I leave the house essentially and I go to school or whatever it is, go to footy, it's all very, like, Australian and it's the culture is quite the opposite. Some girls, if we're, like, out for brunch or something like that, they'll ask a lot about it because, like, they really haven't been around many, like, Asian people, I'd say. So they kind of ask me questions just to learn about, like, my background and the differences because, like, they all know there's differences in different cultures. They just never knew it until, you know, they actually started asking about it, which is something I don't mind talking about because it's also funny seeing their reaction sometimes. <laughs> like, one of the, th- the main things is, like, for instance, like, Christmas. Like, my family, we celebrate Christmas and t- whenever I tell them that, they like, their mind is blown. Like, it's, like the, like, the most confusing thing ever. I was like, yeah, but we have, like, different other celebrations, like Chinese New Year and stuff like that, like, where that's when, that's, like, our equivalent Christmas or whatever the case is, and they're kind of like, oh, my God, like, really? All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was the Lunar New Year earlier this year and then I did a little presentation to the girls with the kind of the background of um, the New Year and how it kind of, you know, the stuff you learn when you're a kid. And then I showed them the, like, the red pockets and, like, kind of told them the significance of that where, you know, when the elders are the ones giving it to the children and that's something I think none of them would have known beforehand. And then 
I, as a stitch-up, I gave one our captain, Steph, the red pocket, saying that she was the oldest because we always give her a bit of schmack being older. But she's not our oldest in the team, but we just love giving her a bit of schmack, so I gave her the, the red pocket. Um, How much money did you give out that day? Oh, absolutely none. It was just empty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a full cultural experience yeah, unless um, you've really shelled out. <laughs> nah, um, I think it's a thought that counts. Um. <laughs> I'm listening to all this and feeling really glad. Glad that Jo gets to train and work with her favourite people in the world. Glad that her talent is being recognised. Kind of weird that her team learnt about Lunar New Year via a presentation, but I've definitely seen weirder, so I actually don't mind it. In fact, this detail prompts me to think about Shamsia and how much learning she took on to be able to feel at home in a footy setting. Speaking with Joe is showing me that there's some reciprocity happening, that this Anglo and Eurocentric sport is finally developing an awareness of other non-Anglo, non-Euro parts of Australia, among other things. Or is that just me being grateful for scraps? Well, first of all, thank you, Jamie, for, for talking to me. Do you want to introduce yourself for the tape? Just... Yeah, look, my name is Jamie P and um, yeah, I'm uh, Australian, Chinese-Australian. We've got to get the adjective right. I'm a Chinese-Australian. So, um, yeah, just uh, look, I've lived a pretty interesting life here in Australia. Jamie P is an AFL player manager. In fact, Joe is one of his clients. Fundamentally, you are a player's agent. You represent the player on a number of fronts. A simple way of looking at it is that you help the player negotiate their playing contracts, help the player with their, their professional development. You help the player with any career-related matters. As I look around the walls of his office, I see a signed Guernsey, some framed pictures of his clients, and photos from big moments in the St Kilda Football Club's history. Football is something that's become a large part of his identity. It's a fandom that was born out of pragmatism. We talk about icebreakers as salespeople. You know, you jump in front of a meeting, you know, a strange customer, you don't know who they are you find commonalities. And, and that's exactly why you have, you go into office, there's memorabilia, there's all that sort of stuff because you're seeking commonalities. You're seeking somewhere to start a conversation. Jamie and his parents migrated from Xinjiang province in China to the outer suburbs of Melbourne in the early 90s. After three terms of intensive English language classes, 12-year-old Jamie was put into mainstream schooling. My first ever lunchtime, I saw the boys kicking the football and, you know, as you do, you try to join in. Um, that, that was my first foray with, with football, first touch point. A classmate suggested he join the local footy club. Jamie's parents worked long hours running a restaurant, which left him to his own devices on weekends and school holidays. So he figured, why not? Playing at that young age in, in a place like Dandenong, and when you play around, you know, Hampton Park, Hallam, it's it's all fairly diverse areas, um, socioeconomically, and I think the, the tolerance from my teammates uh, about different people from different cultures were very, very high, and my club was very good. You know, we have people from all, all sorts of diverse cultures, and, you know, we did play some places where it's mainly predominantly, you know, Caucasian um, and, and we had some troubles in the, you know, against those teams. But the way that you see your teammates um, back you up just affirmed what the sport can do for you and you know what belonging in the club means and, and all that sort of stuff. I love it because it brought me into society, into our society uh, at a very young age and gave me that bridge 
from where I was as a as someone that's um, you know new to the country to to be accepted and um, you know and and you know thrived in, in in our community. So that that's why I love it. Um, obviously, everyone's got a different point of view with the game, um, but that's my my uh, my vision and my point of view from where I come from. This positive and formative experience led Jamie to ensure footy would always be a part of his life. I think when I was younger, I really wanted to be a, a AFL player, but that was nonsense. <laughs> um, I had no skills nor the you know physicality to become an AFL player. But I was never far away from football. Um, you know, I worked very closely with the league, with AFL, on a number of things. You know, especially in the multicultural space, um, I'm always around to help help the league to to further our interest or the game's interest into newcomers into the country. I just wanted to to open that door for more people, almost convince more people to understand that you can gain something from it. Jamie P's contributions to AFL are quite extraordinary. Not only did he assist with bringing Kick programs to kids in Chinese communities, but there were actual exhibition matches held in China. I mean, we, you know, we had games in Shanghai. We've had, you know, exhibition games. I've done commentary in Mandarin for, for the AFL. So things are progressing, um, progressing well. We just got to keep going. And interestingly, Australian Chinese community, um, we have an influx of, of Chinese students and, and um, business people, migrants in, in the, you know, um, early to mid 2000s. Um, and so that community has changed a lot. Uh, a lot more Mandarin speakers, a lot more Mandarin speakers with native Mandarin skills. And so a lot of the, you know, my listeners, their language is a lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I know footy, so um, so that's that's my, my thing. In fact, the reason the exhibition matches went ahead in the first place was thanks in large part to a diplomatic visit made in 2010 by China's then Vice President, now President, Xi Jinping. Mr Xi was invited to a match at Etihad Stadium and Jamie was engaged to introduce and explain the game to him. How did you get involved in that? Was that sort of in a work capacity? Was that in a volunteer capacity? Like- volunteer. Volunteer. It was more people that knew, that knew how much I love football and, you know, and, and one person gets the story, then they'll spread the story to others and then, you know. Um, I didn't say it at I the like time, but I wanted to. Like Wait a minute. You carried out a high level of cultural diplomacy for free? Or as one wise player said earlier, oh, shit. Do you get paid? I called Jamie back later and asked him about it. And he said he was really happy to do it. He looks back on the experience fondly. He's proud to have been able to contribute. I accept Jamie's feelings on this, though for my part, I think the AFL should have paid him. I mean, what was everyone else in the room getting paid? But anyway, the idea to go into player management came about during Jamie's time as an intern coach with the St Kilda Football Club. The Coaches Association had a program to promote diverse cultured background um, coaches. So I was in that program. I, I joined a professional club um, in St Kilda Footy Club and got to know real behind the scenes about what a footy club looks like. I was already a financial planner, um, a mortgage broker. I had my own business. And during that time, I got to know the football players at a very personal level. Some are you know, just starting with their footy career. And... With my financial planning skills um, and, and profession, you, you tend to then, you know, start to join the dots. I started my, my management business, um, what to say, three years ago now. Fast forward a couple of years now, I've got 32 AFLW players under management. And so, yeah, it's progressed. I'm not 
you know, knocking the doors down and, you know, being a big show in the industry, but you know, I have my little space in there that I'm really comfortable and happy with. I'm aware that I sound like a bit of a nitpicky grump. If you're listening to this and you don't know much about AFL, you're probably thinking nothing's ever going to be enough for this lady. But if you have just a passing interest in what goes on in the world of football, you'll know that my gripes so far are just the tip of the iceberg. The history of race relations in the AFL often mirrors the history of race relations in Australia. And just as there are conflicting narratives about Australia's success as a multicultural nation, so too are there mixed messages about footy being a sport for everyone. Here's me and Shamsia chatting in the park again. That is the thing about football as well. Like, I mean, it's funny to me because it's so, yes, you can pick a team and you can jump in straight away and it's really inclusive in that way. But then, you know, it's still quite a white sport. Mm. Like, it's very blokey. Yeah. The, men's, the men's football is very blokey. As you were growing up, did you ever come up against that kind of thing in the fandom and spectators and stuff? Did anyone sort of make you feel like you couldn't be a part of things? Or Absolutely. At 16 years old, Shamsia got the train with friends to the MCG to see her first live game. I, I can't tell you, Lisa, how happy I felt that day leaving home in my Geelong merchandise She wasn't naive to the way popular culture and news media distorted the image of Muslim people, in particular hijabi women, by using their image to represent Islamic fundamentalists and terrorists. And she wasn't naive to the ways in which it affected how she was perceived. One of my friend's team, her team wasn't even playing, but because she was a white person, a white woman, um, I took her as a shield just to protect myself from encountering racism or discrimination because I was a, you know, non-white or, you know, I didn't look like everyone else because I had had an extra piece of clothing on my head. She got a few stares as she entered the stadium, a few more as she took her seat. And I was like, you know what, I don't care what people say or think of me or the way they look at me. I'm here to see, you know, the player's life. And this is my first time. I'm not going to let anyone ruin it for me. For the first, in the first quarter, I was like everyone else, getting up whenever we scored a goal, you know, know, chanted really loudly. During a lull in the game, she sat down. And I heard someone say something along the lines of T-Towelhead. And there were a few um, younger boys sitting behind us. I'm assuming there were over 18 because they were, they were drinking and I I didn't even, I wasn't even familiar with that um, name calling or that phrase towel head and I looked around me I was like oh okay. didn't even care and then when they said something along the lines of she could blow up the stadium <laughs> something around that so terrorism that, that, that was a term that I was very familiar with. That moment when I heard that, I've never felt so alone in that 16 years of my life than I did that day. What was it about hearing that in that particular context? Because I'm sure that you would have heard someone call you names. Yeah, yeah. 
Like you would have heard that before. It wouldn't yeah. have been the first time that somebody no. hurled something insulting at you. I thought, you know, people, I, I guess just white people, when they saw a hijabi woman wearing the Geelong merchandise and, in, you know, integrating into their society, integrating into their games, you know, how that phrase of like, oh, you know, they, they changed it. They, they don't follow our way of life or things like that. You know, you've, you've heard phrases like that. I was like, but I am. I am adjusting to your way of life. I am part of your society. Um, and I am. I speak the same language as you and I, you know, more so the same phrases as you. I am I'm an Australian. And so when I went there, I was like, yeah, surely this is my space. People would even like, like glad to see me there because they're like, oh, you know, they are following our way of life. You know, see, see? I, I thought they might see me as a positive person in there rather than their own stereotype. And it was completely opposite. Up until now, Shamsia's footy fandom had been a non-stop exhilarating journey down a wide open road with no end in sight. But this experience brought things to a halt. It seemed she'd reached the limit. You could be the most craziest and most passionate footy lover and you could wear from head to toe the same merchandise as someone else. But if you're not a white, if you don't fall in that category, then you will face discrimination regardless. And, you know, and then later on, a lot of things became even more visible when I started to learn about um, how the Indigenous players, they've coped with racism, even though it's their land. And so I thought to myself, if, if they, in their own land, is encountering racism, then what good do I have not to face racism. Around the time I was doing these interviews, a story broke out about Hawthorne Football Club and its treatment of First Nations players and their families. An external review commissioned by the club revealed allegations that senior staff had pressured players to cut ties with their families and culture, even going so far as to urge one player's partner to terminate her pregnancy. Why? Apparently it was a distraction from playing winning football. I asked Jamie how he felt when he heard the story. Disappointed. Sometimes you sit back and you feel real hollow. You feel sad for the people who are affected and then you want justice for, for them uh, because instances are, have different uh, levels. Um, those instances with Hawthorne are quite deep. They hurt deep because they have, um, you know, they have more consequences as people's lives and mental health involved and, and everything else. Um, you just hope that that doesn't go on anymore and doesn't happen again. And I asked Joe too. Like when I saw the Hawthorne stuff, like I try to avoid seeing it, like more just so it does make me more upset than I actually think it does. I think it's good, though, on the point of that it opens other people's eyes to know that, like, not everyone's the same and people actually do get treated differently um, based on their um, culture or their race. And what did I think? I was disgusted by it. I thought, this game is meant to be fun. Instead, it's been twisted into a cruel, life-altering, racist experience. 
why did I think for a second this sport was redeemable? Why do I fall for it every time? Soon after, I read about Hawthorne supporters who cancelled their memberships in reaction to the story. I listened to a podcast where someone said they didn't think they could watch another game after hearing those allegations. I don't blame them. Back to Shamsia. Her first real-life experience at the footy was deeply upsetting. In fact, she gave up on the idea of attending a match for a long time, but an important conversation gave her the confidence to try again. I think I had a chat with one of my teachers and he said to me, don't worry about what people think of you. If you know who you are, then you shouldn't focus on what others assume of you. Those words hit me really hard. And I said, that's right. Like, I feel like sometimes you need to hear things from someone else in order to understand it. Like, even though I knew that I knew who I was, like we talked about Islam, like I knew what Islam was. I didn't hate Islam. I didn't hate like my hijab. I hated the way people perceived Islam, the way people saw me as a hijabi woman. And after almost three years of, you know, thinking and overthinking again and again, that's when I was like, you know what, I don't care what they say. I'm just going to go. If they say anything, I'll say things back to them. So Shabsia attended her second live game three years later on her birthday, this time with her brother and cousin. It was Geelong versus Hawthorne. Geelong lost by one point. I lost my voice that day, like I always do every time I go into the, to a live game. We lost by one point and I think, I think at the end of it, I'm glad that I went because I not only got to experience that feeling again in the stadium, but I also provided a few entertainment to the fans who were sitting around me. So by the end of it, I sat down and I put my hands on my face and with the disappointment, I just sighed. And one of uh, Geelong, he, he was also a Geelong supporter, he tapped me on the shoulder and he goes, I enjoyed watching you watching the game more than I enjoyed watching the game. (laughs) And you know me, who can barely speak. I'm like, ah, thank you. Shifting Subjects is a liminal podcast and part of the Broadwave Podcast Network. It was written, cut and hosted by me, Lisa DeVissi. Our supervising producer is John Chia. He also mixed the show. It was fact-checked by Mel Chun, Our theme music is by Marcus Whale. Additional music by Anso, including original compositions. Listen to their music on all streaming platforms. Our publisher is Leah Jing McIntosh. Executive producer is Lisa DeVissi. Special thanks this episode to Joe Sullivan, Timothy Miller, and the City of Melbourne Arts Grants. If you like this podcast, tell your friends about it, especially if you have thoughts on what you just heard. Better out than in, as they say. I'm Lisa DeVissi. See you next time. Thank you.